Hello and welcome to part two of the Temp Fans Podcast Mercury Special, where we're picking over the carcass that is the 12 album shortlist for 2020's Mercury Prize. We've already heard a bunch of great records from Porridge Radio, Moses Boyd, Michael Kiwanuka and many more. And today we've got another six in our sights. We'll be rejoining some familiar voices from the last session and introducing some new Temp Fans who have opinions to spare. This is the bit where I tell you how Temp Fans works with listening to complete discographies and so on and so forth. And then I follow that hard with the bit where I tell you how for the Mercury special, we're chucking all of that out the window. Instead, we've listened to all 12 albums on this year's shortlist and then signed a different person to tell us about each one. Listen to us pontificate wildly about auto-tune and why us old folk just don't understand, and then listen to the records for yourself. Join me, Nick Hilditch, and my far more boisterous co-host Ewan, as we meet the curators and try and find glints of joy in a stack of unspectacular records. Welcome to episode two of the Mercury Sessions of part of the Temp Fans podcast. I'm Ewan. I'm Nick. And hopefully you know that because you listened to part one. If you haven't listened to part one, we recommend you go and do so now um, because obviously it's all very well organized and you know, we know what we're doing and it streams through and everything and shit. Um, find us on Spotify if you can, then you can listen to the Spotify playlist, which includes incorporates podcast and music together. Um, as you know from the first episode, which of course you listened to, we have a group of people from around the world all talking about the various albums on the Mercury Prize 2020 shortlist. Some of those uh, voices from episode one you'll hear again today, but we're going to come back at the end and have a proper discussion about this year's shortlist, and we hope we'll see you then. Sounds good. Okay, so welcome back. Um, obviously, this is we're, we're now in day two of the Mercury Sessions. We got through six albums in part one. Hopefully, you went back and listened to all of those and maybe discovered or uh, investigated further. Um, we're going to continue today with the same group we ended up with yesterday. Quick recap of who we got. We've got Nick. Hello. we got Chris. Hello. we got Brennan. Hey. And we've got Emily. Hello. And we're going to just go straight to Emily. We're going straight in uh, with not much preamble. And we ended up with pop yesterday. We finished on some pop and we're going back in with pop. Um, This is Georgia. And Emily, can you take it from here? Sure. So um, Georgia is a singer and a producer from London. Um, She also happens to be the daughter of Neil Barnes from Left Field. 
Um, she trained as a drummer and she played on a number of other people's records before she released her own self-produced de- debut album in, I believe, 2015. So the record that we're talking about today for this is Seeking Thrills. It's her second album. Um, it's primarily a synth pop album, uh, though it combines uh, some influences from a few different eras. There are some parts of it that make me think of uh, some early Madonna. There are other um, places where you hear some influences from Chicago House or Detroit techno. The vocal style, I would say, is is really kind of indebted to Robin. That's what I hear, at least. Kind of on a thematic level, it's really, as an album, it's really kind of an ode to the dance floor, which here Georgia kind of frames as um, this kind of place of self-expression and inclusion and sort of self-release. So a lot of the songs on the, the album are kind of odes to that sort of euphoria of the dance floor and kind of an attempt to to capture that. In terms of why it was shortlisted, I think, for one thing, I do actually think it's a pretty it's a pretty enjoyable and pretty like thoughtfully put together pop album. Um, I think it doesn't feel you know manufactured. Um, and George is someone who's clearly kind of literate in terms of of music history, especially history of electronic music. And in particular, I think someone like her is kind of an appealing choice for this kind of shortlist because she's someone who is easy to frame as a kind of auteur even though she's making music in the pop genre. So she not only sings on the album, but she also wrote and produced the record. Um, and, you know, there's this narrative uh, with pop albums and with pop stars sometimes where people want to say, oh, like, it's a Kylie Minogue uh, record, but she's singing on the album, but she didn't really write most of the tracks. She didn't produce it. So, you know, how much is she really um, responsible for? No, whatever you think of like that line of criticism, it's a criticism that I think Georgia isn't really vulnerable to because um, she's clearly got an artistic vision on this album. I think that for me though was the sticking point a little. I mean, I've never really been this. I've, I've never been a dance floor man. I mean, there was a period in the early '90s, maybe, but generally, that I, I'd veer away from uh, that sort of that sort of side. It seems incredibly well put together. Mm-hmm. It seems like she knows what she's doing and she's a student of music. And sometimes that works. And sometimes you go, oh, that's a very well put together album. And then I just ended up going, eh, yeah. And I, my notes were Robin and meh. Mm-hmm. That's literally all I could write down after listening to it. <laughs> I think, so I think there's a lot of Robin in it. And so to me, this is, um, I guess the reservation that I have is that I, I think in particular her vocals are kind of, they're not bad. Um, they're not like the type of vocals that like, you know, give me a twitch or something like that, but they're just, they're a little on the bland side. And I, so I think I really like a lot of the production. I really like kind of the synth textures that she gets, but there's, there's not a ton interesting going on with the vocals and that makes it really easy to sort of brush the album off kind of quickly. Oh, pro- totally. And it, you know, I'm well aware that might, it's probably my own baggage coming from a non-pop side. Um, Chris, you, you ended yesterday's pod uh, talking about Dua Lipa, uh, another one of the pop albums on this year's shortlist. How did this one compare for you? Well, I think that um, it took me a while it definitely took me a while. I've been listening to it today, actually, again, to compare for us chatting now. And it definitely grew on me. But I think it's interesting after what Emily just said, because it made me think about 
that, that idea of like what it's trying to evoke, right? So this is kind of, you know, we talked yesterday with Dua Lipa, this idea of, you know, what's it called? Future nostalgia, that's what it's called. And like you say, this album is definitely trying to get you to remember, I don't know, sweaty dance floors and kind of big nights and all this kind of thing. But that's definitely something that I've never done. Like I've been to indie club, but I've never been to a club, I've never been to a rave or anything like that. And I don't know whether that was kind of my reservation. So the kind of atmosphere that she's trying to get for some people would be a total connector. You'd get it straight away, you'd understand that kind of, um, I mean, someone like Burial tries to do the same thing, you know, the post club come down, whatever, where she's definitely in the middle of it. And it definitely took me a while to get that. I think that was the challenge with it. But I definitely think there are some amazing songs in it. The one about, is it called Awake on the Dance Floor or Coming Up on the Dance Floor or something? Uh, the single, it's I think it it's weird. a single, it's About Work the Dance Floor, which is, I think is an incredibly yeah. awkward yeah. title. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the song, when she sings it, it sounds like she's singing Creeping Up on the Dance Floor, which makes it even more weird as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's the challenge. It's kind of like, with all of this, I mean, it goes back to what we were talking about yesterday, about this idea of like... Um, harking back to something you remember. There's something quite warm in that, isn't it? Thinking about pavement, thinking about um, all that kind of thing. With this one, I didn't have that historic connection to the idea of what she was trying to get. But it took me a while and I think I think I half like it now. That's my position now, I like it. I think that it's an impressive album in the sense that, you know, that I stuck with it. I think that says something that you went back and tried to like it. And not, not tried to like it, but gave it a second chance, mm. I suppose. Brendan, what did you think of this? You're sitting there, you're sitting there looking like you're mulling things over. Oh, that's my natural look. You know, I'm always thinking. Um, yeah, I was trying to come up with a list of like the best uh, singers, bands named after a U.S. state. And I came up with a, a, my top three. I have um, Kansas at number one. I have Alabama at number two. And I have Flo Rida at number three. I think yeah. Georgia might be... I'm not sure really where she'd be. She'd probably be after Texas somewhere. Um, it was okay. I liked her little videos that she made in the uh, the Spotify. If you watch, if you open up the the clips on your phone, there's like these little videos that she made. They were kind of charming. Um, the word salad song about work the dance floor was okay. Uh, I think she probably shot herself in the foot by putting the song in. Uh, you know, coming up with a good title, putting it into Google Translate, choosing Swahili, taking that, choosing another language, putting it back into English and saying, well, that's the title. Because realistically, you, you want to have, have a song that people are going to, you know, remember the name by. And, and the fact that it took so many people to uh, have to, you know, pull this one up. And I mean, about work, the dance floor, I mean, is that even a diagrammable sentence? I don't think so. Well, it's like especially, it's puzzling. Few words in that. I feel like it's especially puzzling because I think that's the lead, one of the lead singles off of the, the album. Yeah. It's and remarkable that the title is so awkward. Yeah, <laughs> you think that the, the record label would be like, Georgia, honey, you know, come on. Can we at least uh, let's have another pass to those lyrics again, you know? Or can uh, we just remove one of the words from the title? Yeah, work the dance, work the dance floor. Or, about, or about the dance floor. Or about the dance floor would be fine. You know, about work would be an interesting song, you know. About work and then parentheses the dance floor. Now we're back to pavement where it's just like word salad as a song title. It all goes back to pavement. But um, actually in terms of like music, it was uh, enjoyable. It reminded me a lot of like early Madonna. It was 
you know, it was fine. I, I'm not sure. Um, I, I, again, I feel like George is one of these people like, like sports team, like Moses, you know, happy to be nominated. Her profile has been raised. She won because of that. Um, I, I, I think this has a snowball's chance in hell of winning. I agree. Um, I don't really know who this is for. It's not for me. Um, my daughter who loves pop music, who loves Dua Lipa was like, the fuck do I do with this dad? You know, I'm like, I don't know. So, um, so there's that. She liked fishing. I think I mentioned that already from uh, the sports team thing. But, okay. Uh, I would say Chris. Every year there's an album, right? That sounds like you would, I think I've said this somewhere else, but you would play at a dinner party in South London. And it's the kind of album where someone, it might be someone who's on like, a, um, works in the city, but wants something just a little bit edgy to listen to and they have a dinner party. So a previous examples would be like Alt-J, Everything Everything, that kind of thing. I feel like, whoa, whoa. Fashion, that, I kind yeah, of what? think the first Alt-J record's entertaining. The wheels I come up like, quickly, but I know what you're getting at. Yeah, so there's yeah, nothing I, wrong. There's it's, nothing it's, wrong with a dinner party album. It's just, it's the people who. Dinner, who but, have that dinner party, you in? That's the problem. You've got to think about who's at the party. Do you want them to be there? What are they putting on the jukebox on stereo? I don't own a jukebox. To be totally clear on that one, <laughs> but I think that's this. That, that this thing cool. like, is it? Is it the vegan potluck dinner? Is it the, you know, it's probably from, um, the no, we're it's having a dinner party when in fact we're just gonna get fucking shit faced, you know, and food's irrelevant party. So I mean that's gonna be a whole different record. So yeah, I know what you're saying. This is probably the um, record you put on, you, you know, the the birthday party for your kids. No, this is the like, record. Hey, I'm the cool dad. I'm listening to Georgia. You know, and then yeah. they go, Dad, what's this? We don't listen to this anymore. Yeah. And you're like, oh, oh. I this shit, Dad. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, yeah. we did digress slightly, um, but there were some good thoughts about that, particularly how Georgia, um, very well produced, very well put together, definitely is a, a student of music and very accomplished, which turns us to the final album of this session, which is, well, which I'm going to go through, which was Anna Meredith. Um, I knew nothing about Anna Meredith at all. And when the list came out, the album, the album title Fibs had jumped out at me because I'd heard it was good, it was interesting, but I genuinely could not have told you what genre it was or anything like that. And I still don't know whether I really like it or whether it's... Huh? Um, I mean, background, Anna Meredith, she's an, she's an MBE, which usually I wouldn't care about, but it sort of feels important. She's younger than me and she's got, she, she's been honored for her, her, her contribution to music. Um, she's an accomplished composer uh, of classical pieces, acoustic and, and latterly electronic. Uh, she, was a, she did a stint as a composer in residence for the Scottish Symphony Orchestra. She has created and performed and become famous almost for works at Last Night on the Proms. And she finally released a debut album to, to much acclaim in 2016. Um, she sort of takes the uh, approach of composition and conducting classical pieces and brings in an electronic stint as, as well as some more classical instruments. Um, 
the album, it starts at 120 miles an hour and just keeps getting faster and faster and faster. The first track just doesn't seem to slow down. Um, it reminds me a lot of uh, the band And So I Watch You From Afar, this Irish guitar math rock band with this sort of building intricate layer upon layer in their opening stuff. It's ballsy, it's bold. It's not like anything else in this year's Mercury, which I think might be why it's there. Um, as a whole, the album sort of veers. Um, there's some really interesting stuff. Um, there's some bits that seem like she's trying to just do dance music, but again, manufactured and put together rather than the dance floor feels. Um, but then there's some sort of seemingly simple, almost childlike melodies and pop songs, um, Killjoy or Ribbons, that take uh, a beautiful little melody and build it and repeat it and add little things. Uh, she reminded me of the band's tongue, uh, DNTEL, um, bit of Steve Wright, St. Vincent. There's lots of really good stuff going on. And every time I've listened to it over the last few weeks, I found more. I still don't know my opinion on it. I'm not sure it'll, I'll know my opinion on it for another year. I think it genuinely could win. I think Charlie XXC, XXC, I always get the thing, is going to win, but I think she's going to come damn, 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 damn close. Um, what did everyone else think about it? I mean, I thought it, was, I thought it was crazy and just stood out from everything else on the shortlist. Nick? I mean, I initially lumped it in with the other pop albums because on the first day that the uh, shortlist was announced, I made the mistake of pretty much listening to all of it back to back. And um, it was listed, um, it was off the BBC news site and it was listed alphabetically. And it just happened that the kind of four poppiest albums just happened in sequence right at the beginning. And I think I just, I, I just couldn't process it all because it's so far out of my normal listening. And I kind of thought they all sounded a little bit samey. And then over the course of the immersion, we listened to them individually. And, you know, I learned a little bit of background about each one. And I can't even believe I thought that. They're so different. Each album, even though distinctly pop albums in their own way, are very, very different. And this one in particular, because it's actually quite a cerebral album. It's, um, it's, it's, it's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum from, say, Dua Lipa. Mm. Um, but like you, Ewan, I kind of came away from it still feeling a little a little cold and I think that's maybe because it's a, a kind of an intellectual exercise and maybe maybe I could find a way into it I felt like it could work in a kind of installation in a gallery or something but just listening to it in isolation I, I, I didn't really I don't know there's so much going on I think I mean I need more time with it or it's just not for me I, I really don't know Emily what did you think of uh, Anna Meredith <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think like some others, it took me, a, I had to listen to it a few times before I, I it, it, there was a lot to, to process, but I, I think I really like it actually. Like I think it might actually be one of my favorites of, of this year's nominees altogether. Um, with that said, I, I, I still feel like I haven't totally processed it yet, but I'd like that. Um, I mean, there's a lot of like intricacy to it. Right. And there's a lot of strangeness as well, which I, I liked. Cool. Um, Chris, we, um, I, we, we get to the point that everyone's like, I've got something to say. I'm not sure. Either people are stunned by silence or it's getting late in the day. So I'm just going to start prompting people and pointing at I, um, Chris, tell me your thoughts. <laughs> this is the one that I knew the most before going into the Mercury list because I, I really, really liked it already. So 
I've seen her live. I remember the day it came out, I was really excited about it. Um, I just think it's a great album. I think that she obviously just, I don't know, when you can start getting into that kind of slightly more intricate experimental end of things, you can kind of lose that warmth. But I think that she, like when I saw her live, she did a cover of Daniel Bedingfield's Gotta Get Through This. That's what she did as the encore. So like on a tuba and, and all this kind of thing. And she did a medley of songs that there was Gotta Get Through This. I think there was an Abba song that she did. And um, I just think that she obviously just loves music. Like, I don't mean that in a kind of sense that she just like, any, any, any reference is a goal. That's, you know, like anything she'll go for. And I think that, um, I just think she's great. And actually, I find it interesting that response to it, the idea that you were saying, Nick, of it being quite cold, because I remember the first time I heard it, I just thought it was so, uh, like, jubilant. Like, I think Paramore, the track Paramore, quite near the end, not only one of the heaviest things I've ever heard, but I think it's, like, one of my favourite songs last year. I just thought it's, I just think it's, like, a true definition of heavy. Do you know what I mean? Like, a, not like a Grateful Dead fan or anything, but, you know, it's kind of like that sort of thing, just really... I just think I think she's great, and I think also as well that she you made reference to that she we um, did a thing with the Scottish Symphony Orchestra. That was the first time I'd ever heard a whole piece of classical music all the way through. So she did um, a really good version of Vivaldi's Four Seasons. So again, people should check that out. It's amazing. Like it's just um, yeah, she seems great. I think she seems great. I think the album's great. And I um, did I, I did find the Tiny Desk. Uh, concerts, the MPL one, while I was no, researching this piece, which was astounding. I and mean, it's just, you know, four people standing in a room, one young kid with a giant tuba to go, and there is something heavy and magical about brass instruments where you don't expect brass, expect brass instruments to be. Brendan, you got any final thoughts? Anything to add on Anna Meredith? Uh, man, if, if art's a window to the soul, this lady's cuckoo bananas you know that first song is crazy um i nearly drove off the road when i first heard it i was like what is wrong here it it it's sort of i have a question and it's sort of a rhetorical one because i it's art and i understand that there's not a really right way to do it but i do have a question like i wonder how they decide this is done because i mean it sounded so put together but at the same token kind of arbitrary i mean it definitely was a progression but it seems so i mean it, it was it was changing but it wasn't changing and then it was it, then it like, got are they adding extra bits and going oh no one more bit oh yeah, no a little bit like, more you know like when i found out like the moses boyd record was all him and then he had his friends like flush it out a bit i i couldn't believe it because it sounded so organic this is like the opposite of organic. This is like a crazy uh, abstract art painting, you know. And I guess there's another, there's another thing too. Like, how did Jackson Pollock go? You know what? We're done. I can't put another piece on here. So yeah. it was. It was. It's sort of. Uh, and I. And, and again, I don't think there's an answer to it, but I want to ask the question because that's what was going through my mind when I was listening to this. It was like, whoa, where? Do, I mean, how? You know. I mean, I know there's like way weirder music out there. Yeah. I mean, I've heard stuff that sounds like skipping CDs and shit and just like, okay, whatever. But this seemed, you know, intentionally obtuse. 
Well, I feel like it's, it's interesting because it, there's a combination of um, really unusual and like really dense sounds and like some parts that are very avant-garde, but then there's also a real, then it will snap into this really melodic thing yeah. for a moment, yeah. you know, like it kind of pulls you in. Seeing it live must be must be quite something. I mean, I just saw that video that you shared, you and the uh, Tiny Desk concert, and um, it certainly changed my perception of the record. I guess because with the record, you just sort of hear this kind of big constructive mess, and then you actually see people performing it. It's yeah, <laughs> it's a. It's I, another, I did uh, find it interesting how because like on the first album, there's that track Nautilus, if anyone's heard it, which got quite, it's been used in a lot of films and it's got this technique in it, which it's got a name, but I can't remember. So you start playing an ascending scale and then you start the scale again before you've reached that one. So it constantly sounds like it's getting higher pitched constantly. Yeah, it's constantly random. Now it's objectively quite annoying, but she just has a technique where she can just, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. There's something about, she just, can add that flourish to it. And I agree with you, Brendan. It's one of those albums I listen to, and like, how do you do this? Like, how do you go into a room? Or how do you and come up with that? I just think she has a touch that I just don't know. And again, it's You know what this you part that. needs? We need the arpeggiator again, you know? And set it up to like, all the way. I mean, like... I, but I think, but I think it goes back to if if you think about some classical music, where here comes the horns, here come the strings, here come the woodwind, here comes the brass. I've I've run out of parts of orchestra. Um, to me, a lot of classical music sounds like we're going to throw this side, and now you're going to play this bit louder, and now this is coming in on top, and this is coming in on top, mm-hmm. and. The electronic aspect has been missing from that, I guess. And I guess what she's doing is marrying that classical side of, okay, here comes a bow, 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 with full on sort of elect- electronica or synthesizers as, as a genuine part of a modern orchestra, I guess. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, like, um, you got to push things forward. So good on her, but this might, I might not be the one who's able to, do, you know. That is one thing I would say about the album as well, actually. So we've talked a lot about this idea of like, it reminds me of things from the past. So we talked, you know, we can go at length through those were. And again, Dua Lipa is kind of looking, harking back to the 80s and Georgia's the 90s. But it feels like with this one, I don't know where you would say she's looking to. She's just basically like just pulling from everywhere. And you kind of, it sounds like it was dropped from space. That's what I feel yeah. like. It's, you couldn't it's see it. the album on the shortlist you could say that about. Yeah, exactly. Like you can't, you can say that she's yeah. got inspiration. So you can hear 18 Musicians by Steve Reich in there. You can hear that kind of more metal. You can hear that punk thing. But she just seems to come up with something that doesn't feel, you don't immediately go, that sounds like someone. You say it, it's, yeah. it feels like it's influenced by someone. Um, but yeah, I think that's really impressive in 2020, in 2020, sorry, not 2021. I, I think you're right. And I think, um, um, and I think I think that's totally it. I, I mean, I do think she stands out from a lot of the other people on this year's list purely because of that individuality, that that lack of time. Um, okay, so we've done a few more albums, we've had a few more opinions. Um, we're now going to go to the playlist um, of Georgia and Anna Meredith. When we come back, we will have different people in the room, and Nick and I will go on again about time zones and how we organise people, etc., etc. So, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Brendan. See you after this, Nick.
Okay, welcome to the final Mercury session. Um, we have yet another group of winning temporary fan acolytes uh, to share their knowledge and their opinions about the final four artists. Same as we've done in the other sections, uh, exactly the same sort of format. Um, just as we've been explaining over and over again, this was the logistical nightmare, different time zones, but technically this should be the easiest one to get organized because everybody is relatively in the same place. Today we have Nick again. Hello, Nick. Hello. <laughs> we've got John. Hello. Uh, John, where are you at the moment? Uh, I'm in Lark Hall in Scotland. And those of you who have listened to previous episodes, of course, you have will recognize John for the rather excellent Pogues, which was episode two. Go and have a listen. We've got Marianne. Hello, Marianne. Hi. And where are you? I'm in Forest Hill, which is in southeast London. Fantastic. Um, those of you who listened to all the things I edited out of the first episode would know Marianne, but sadly, uh, she ended up on the cutting room floor, and I feel really bad about it. Um, we've got Emma. Hello, Emma. Hello. And where are you at the moment? I'm in Lark Hall in Bath. Okay, and finally, we've got Sai. Hello, Sai. Hello. And where are you? I am in Bolton. This is the least international and glamorous one we've done so far, and it's brilliant. <laughs> okay, so as you know, we're going to start, and we've got two albums for each section. We're going to start straight in. Um, because there's so many of us at this, in this one, Nick and I might try and take a bit of a back seat, although we will pipe up from time to time, maybe to move things on if need be. So, Sai, you are up first. Would you like to tell us uh, who the artist is? Give us an introduction and why you like it or why you don't like it, why you think it might win. Over to you. Okay, so uh, my chosen record for the Mercury Prize is How I'm Feeling Now by Charlie XCX. Um, I fell in love with Charlie XCX, the artist, um, about four years ago uh, when she brought her Pop 2 uh, mixtape. She's one of those artists that I always kind of wanted to like uh, because you, sometimes you read about an artist and the way that people write about it, you think, oh, that sounds amazing, but I, I hadn't quite connected. But then over the last sort of few years, I've had this kind of midlife crisis where I've fallen head over heels with pop music for the first time since I was about 12. Yes, yeah, so this album, um, it's kind of, she kind of had a, a renaissance about sort of four years ago when she um, got involved with these guys um, on a record label called PC Music. And what PC Music do is they make, they're a kind of um, almost like a sort of hit factory and they've got like a, a roster of artists and their sort of uh, armory is revolving around sort of very high-pitched vocals, um, sort of music that's equal parts, J-pop, um, uh, house music, um, uh, pop music, a lot of uh, use of vocal effects, um, uh, and so uh, about sort of four years ago, Charlie XX got involved with those guys. And this is, they've got this sort of wonderful sort of symbiosis where everything they've done now is it's almost like this brand new version of pop music that, that really hasn't been seen before. And for the first time in her career, really, she's now being acclaimed for who she is rather than necessarily what she brings to other artists and the songwriting she does. The album itself, it's only released nine months after her third uh, album proper, Charlie. Um, now, Charlie was a kind of taking about two years to record, um, sort of you know, different writers on there working for herself. And then 
uh, in around about April time, uh, she was on a Zoom call with her fans um, and she basically announced that in six weeks' time, she was going to release her fourth album um, and that she was going to write it all, collaborate um, with her fans uh, and get it done over this six-week period. And then, lo and behold, five and a half weeks later, it saw the light of day. I mean, when I first heard it, and this is my age, but for me, this is what TikTok sounds like. Um, global video uh, memes. This is the sound of TikTok, which basically means, for me, this is the sound of a generation I really don't understand. Now, the second time I listened to it, I thought it was fucking great. Um, third time, I had a bit of a wobble, but I'm fully on board. Personally, I think it's going to win the whole thing. What did other, what did everybody, I'm going to step out of this at the moment. I want to see what everybody else has to say about this. Marianne, what do you think? Well, it's funny you say, like, you're saying, well, it sounds like TikTok. For me, I was like, hmm, if I, put, if I was to put on Radio 1, this is what I would expect to hear on Radio 1, but, like, I don't, I don't listen to that anymore. You know, like, it, it's kind of, it, it definitely feels um, kind of out of my usual range of listening. Um, as a pop record, I think I can really appreciate it, but it's a little bit, it's a little bit hard and it's a little bit angular for me. Like, that, you know, it doesn't have... Um, yeah, there kind of there isn't much softness to it. Which I, when I was, I was I was reflecting on this, and I was thinking about pop that I like and pop that I would like have listened to through the years. And yeah, so it felt like yeah, if I was at a party and this was on, this would be really you know like a sort of summer thing, and you know I, I'd be really happy to have it on. But yeah, it, it didn't sort of speak to me on on a soul level. Whilst I could you know appreciate you know, I, and I think the story of how it came about is is a pretty like fascinating one, and the fact that she was able to pull it together so quickly, and that it's like this very you know lockdown symbolic thing um it's amazing but but musically yeah just a little bit yeah a bit too kind of i, I, I wouldn't say harsh almost um if that makes sense sorry i think the lockdown thing is worth talking about because usually the mercury uh board would be making their decisions and but we've been in the strange times so are they going to be influenced by the fact that we are in quarantine period or various lockdowns around the world and we have this one album that has come out of the quarantine come out of the global lockdown that sort of represents the frustrations and the art and people stuck at home and the collaborations that can be done is that going to influence at all do you reckon just sorry i i don't know i mean you know i, you know, I guess the precedent is things like the oscars where you talk about oh it's so and so's turn or it's um you know they need to have a you know, a, you know they have to have someone with a, a film with a black person who's going to win this year or you know you, you, it kind of reacts politically i don't know if the mercury does that so much because it is kind of hard to second guess the choices they make sometimes times um I, do, I don't know i was saying to nick i think maybe when we we're doing the first session i went through a phase of when i wasn't really listening to the albums and three out of four years i picked the winner because i was like well they haven't had one of these for a while i think it'll be this since i've started listening to them i haven't picked a single one correctly but when i wasn't listening and i was just picking them based on their descriptions um I know that they say, no, it's just based on the album. But if it was just based on the album, would we have had more jazz winners? Maybe. Um, they do tend to become quite cyclical as well. So I mean, maybe it does get influenced. Maybe it doesn't. Um, John, you, 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 gave, you gave us the Pogues. Give us your thoughts on, on Charlie XCX. All right. Okay. Um, well, what you say about it winning, I do, think that, I do think the Mercury does try and be uh, zeitgeisty, you know, if you, if you like... So I, I do think those sort of things do influence it, but but I don't know if it'll influence it that much, uh, to be honest. So I sort of wanted to love this, 
Um, and when I put it on the first song, I thought it was brilliant. It was a real banger. And then the more it got on, the sort of the less interested I became. And it's something that that's come up a lot on TFs uh, is, is auto tune. And, and a lot of sort of older people like me really just it makes my skin crawl. I don't. I, I just do not like it if it's overused. I mean, it can be used really effectively and really well. And I think she used it effectively and well occasionally on the album, but but overall, it, I found it alienating. So I think that's I think maybe she, a little bit what Marianne was saying. It's kind of a sense of being a bit too old to really I think she it. uses it better than some. I think it was Bon Iver, maybe his third or second or third album. Suddenly it was auto-tuned up to 100. And I literally couldn't listen to it. I remember just taking it off on the tram and going, no, that, that's now garbage. Um, Emma, hello. Hello. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on, on, on Charlie... Uh, XCX. I keep wanting to Roman numeralize it, but that would be 90. Charlie 9010. What are your thoughts? Um, well, I, I thought um, if Pink Diamond isn't being played at Illegal Raves um, this summer, I'd like to know why, because uh, I think they're missing a trick if, if they're not playing that one. Um, yeah. But I have to say, it, it didn't appeal to me really. I, I can see it striking a chord with teenagers, 20 somethings. For, to me, this is for a younger generation, really. I'm not a fan of auto-tune. The baby voice on, um, is it C2.0, really grated. I, I just felt like I wanted to switch it off on that track. Um, I also know, um, thought that um, there's only two years between Charlie and Laura Marling, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah. And... Um, but they just seem to be from different generations, really, which um, their style of music couldn't be more different. Um, do, you think, do you think there's going to be an element of uh, maybe the judges looking at it and go, it, could this be the UK's version of a Billie Eilish, or Billie Eilish, you know, the sort of female auteur who, who represents a generation? Or is she just going to be just, just treated purely on musical merit? We'll leave the final, Simon, final words to you. What do you think? I mean, do you think it's going to win? Is it going to win? I look, I, every year, every year, I'm wrong about whether it wins. You know, I, I think it's. I, I don't think it's even the best album that she's made in the last year. But maybe it will do on the zeitgeisty side of things. It's certainly, you know, leaving aside its zeitgeisty appeal with regards to lockdown. Just in terms of a generational album, they talk about auto tune. This isn't the auto tune of you know of, of rappers trying to sort of hit their notes. This is real. Um, sort of J-pop influence. It's very, um, it, it's very sort of post Me Too. It's very queer pop. You know, it ticks it, it a lot of young boxes. Um, and you know, I, I think the Mercury, if they were inclined to want to make themselves relevant, it's a good choice. Yeah, good, good. And uh, now um, we briefly mentioned the two-year age difference um, between her and Laura Marling, which is a seamless segue over to our next album, um, which is Laura Marling's fifth, is it, Emma? Seventh. Seventh, Jesus. Okay, Emma, tell us. Tell us about it. <laughs> um, so the album is Song for Our Daughter by Laura Marling. Um, it's the fourth time that she has been nominated, which is equal to Arctic Monkeys and PJ Harvey. Um, only Radiohead have more nominations with five. In a sense, it feels overdue. Um, and she has changed her writing style for this album. So arguably it is, has a different feel to her earlier work. Um, 
it feels to me like a really strong album um, written by a woman about being a woman. And with six albums under her belt, um, I think it has the feel of a career masterpiece um, to it, really. Um, and it's also quite topical with um, the Me Too era and that background going on. I think it definitely has a classic feel about it. It's not sexy or exciting, but it's also not flash in the pan. Um, I think it has quality running all the way through it. Um, and it feels like an album that will stick around as well. Um, and I think it has an honesty about it. It's authentic. Every listen revealed something new to me. Every time I listened to it again, I just found I just found I, I appreciated it on a deeper level, really. But the, the more I read about it, it's inspired by Maya, Maya Angelou's 2009 book, Letter to My Daughter, which is a series of essays to a younger generation of women and which are full of wisdom, lessons in compassion and fortitude. And I think that really shines through on the album. Um, it's been really well received by critics. Um, I do like it, as you can probably tell. Um, I'm, I'm not sure it will win, but stranger things have happened. Um, I'd be happy if it did, and I think it is a worthy winner. But, um, yeah, I, I, um, I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, I, I know a lot, when it was being chatted about on the, on the Facebook group, a lot of people echoed my feelings as well, which was, first album, amazing. My God, on that tour, she was something else. Came out of nowhere. Roundabout album, I think it was album three, she suddenly got this American Atlantic accent, Joni Mitchell voice, sort of developed. When, I think it was when she went over to the US for a year or two and started recording over there. And... It's taken me a while to get used to it. I think this is her best album in ages. Mm. I don't think it touches the first one, but it's definitely more accomplished. It's definitely more professional. It's definitely an artist maturing. Um, John, what do you think? Uh, I, I liked it. I thought um, uh, Emma sort of touched on something where she said it's not particularly sexy or, uh, or, or sort of vital and young in that way, you know. And, and I think it's a style of music as well. I think, like, you know, pop music, like Charlie XCX, for all those only two years, it's the genre. The pop music fetishizes youth to a ridiculous extent, really. Um, whereas, whereas this album's about motherhood, even though she's not, it's, it's a fictional daughter. Um, the idea is, is that she's taken on the mantle of being sort of older and wiser and somebody who can impart some wisdom. So I thought the, um, lyrically, it was really, it was really interesting. Uh, it weirdly put me in mind of uh, Fiona Apple's uh, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, lyrically, you know, just in the way of uh, uh, that kind of not giving a fuck thing. And although the music's almost polite, the sentiment isn't polite at all. Uh, and so I, I did quite like that sort of contrast. And I thought it was beautifully played and uh, really beautifully produced and, and on a nice stereo, like really listening to it. Uh, it sounds gorgeous. It sounds beautiful. But I wasn't particularly excited by it. It just didn't. It didn't make me feel something big, really. Um, but it, I have listened to it a couple of times since, and it's it is growing on me. So it could be a slow burn, a sort of slow burn classic. I certainly think it's it's a it's a it's a noble effort. You know, it's a really it's a good it's a good thing. Marianne, Marianne is nodding her head. So, what, is, that, is that is that an agreement? Yeah, I I, I am agreeing. What am I agreeing with? Um, I 
So for me, Laura Marling's a really interesting artist. So on paper, she is like right up my street. She's, you know, she's bang on the kind of, of artist that I, I really like to listen to and, and musically. But sometimes I really struggle to connect with her album. She's somebody where I'll listen to, I'll be like, oh, I must listen to the new Laura Marling album. And I don't quite get to the end. And then I never quite go back to it. Um, so this album's quite interesting. I, it really transformed for me between the first and second listen. On the first listen, I was like, mm, yeah, yeah, mm, it's all right. I'm not connect. Oh, it's another, it's another Laura Marling album that I'm never going to listen to again. Um, but but yeah, I think on a second listen, I, I really appreciated it a lot more. Um, I think the kind of the lyrical precision is really interesting to me because you know I, I recently started writing songs, so I'm kind of a lot more focused on like, oh yeah, she's doing some really great, interesting things with the lyrics there. Um, I think the sound of it is very beautiful. I can imagine like being in a you know convertible driving down some super cool um, I don't know road in America, and, and just this kind of being this this backdrop to that, which I thought was really um, really beautiful. I think it is hard to be to be doing what she's doing and like she's not really she's not really reinventing anything is she she's kind of she's almost like at the upper echelon of what of what she's doing but like in something like the mercury it's really hard to compare that with an artist that's like taking something and twisting it or really reinventing it versus just being incredibly like you know i mean competent sounds like a bit faint praise doesn't it but like really yeah accomplished maybe that's the word um you know in, in that way so it's, it's a tricky one isn't it but i i found it a definitely an enjoyable album that opened up for me you know after a few more listens um i will put it on again has it changed my world musically no but but she's you know she's pretty great at what she's doing and, and I do respect that um, and, and almost with and thank you by the way and almost with perfect um, symmetry Sai do you want the last word I mean this is this is an artist with two years two years um, older than than your than your Charlie yeah and it's yeah it's a it's a long two years isn't it I mean, when, when, I mean she, didn't she first come out alongside sort of knowing the whale and those sort of people yeah um i saw her on her first tour she used to be part of knowing the whale and it was brighton's great escape and we just got to see bonnie Vare. this is the most folky day you could possibly imagine <laughs> we just got to see bonnie Vare and went into the university to watch laura marley and it was mumford and sons who then were followed by Noah and the Whale, who she was playing her last performance with, and then she headlined. Um, she came out of that whole scene, uh, but she, she's the good one. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, 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 mean, I, I didn't mind all that stuff at the time. By this point, I don't know. I'm getting, I'm getting a bit of a tin ear for it. I, I listen to it. It does sound a lot of the adjectives that have been thrown like accomplished, you know, and mature. These are kind of adjectives that don't really sort me out particularly. Um, it's quite nice. I quite like having, having it about, but um, it kind of just drifts past me, if I'm honest. I'm just, I'm just super immature and obvious. I like big hooks. But yeah, uh, lyrically, I can't argue with it. Uh, but musically, I probably wouldn't put it on again. Okay, so I mean, a relatively mixed bag, but mainly positive um, for Laura Marling. Um, some artists haven't had that positive vibe over the last few days. And we'll come back for the final two albums after that. Welcome back to the final session of the uh, Mercury Music Prize podcast. Uh, we've just got two albums left to listen to. Uh, Ewan's pissed off for Cocktails on the Beach. And I'm here with uh, John. Uh, Emma's still here from earlier. And we've got Marianne as well. And uh, we're going to start with Marianne, who's going to talk to us about Lanterns on the Lake. So Marianne, why, why this album? Um, who are they? What's the album? Do you think it has a chance of winning? And do you like it? <laughs> 
Yeah, great. All great questions. So um, lanterns on the lake spook the herd. Um, so I, I saw lanterns on the lake, gosh, I'm not even sure when it would have been, probably around 2012, 2013 um, at, at a festival. And, you know, I, I quite like them. Um, I listened to their first album. I, I haven't sort of massively followed their career over the intervening nine years, but this is their fifth album. It's their fourth studio album, um, and they're a five-piece from Newcastle in the UK. Um, all of their albums up to now have kind of been well-received, you know, critically acclaimed without ever necessarily making any big waves, I think it's fair to say. Um, but this one, for, for whatever reason, I think just kind of sparks people's imaginations a little bit and, uh, yeah, kind of probably got the best reviews of of their career. Um, so it's quite dreamy, sort of swirly, um, indie, folky, pop type stuff. When I was, I was really trying to think about how would I, if I were going to try and categorise the genre that they're in, I, I would struggle to put a word to it. But um, to my ear, they have the sound of a kind of, you know, your national arcade fire, um, war on drugs, even that kind of sort of quite lush, epic guitar sounds, which is right up my street, which I really enjoy and find very listenable. Um, that's what I think is quite interesting about them because when you when you hear them I, to me they don't massively sound like a British band I think sometimes British indie certainly traditionally can be quite can sound quite small and that's not necessarily an insult because there's, there's there can be something really interesting when something's very like kind of focused in but for me they have this much more sprawling epic sound which sort of, sort of has that kind of more US feel um, so it's not a very um, I wouldn't describe it as a grabby album it's not an album that kind of grabs you by the throat but I find it really really listenable really really kind of well done really well thought through like a really good example of the genre if you like this kind of stuff I think you'll like this album if you don't like it won't be the album that makes you go hmm let me reconsider my attitude towards lush swirly pop which is totally fine um but yeah I, I don't think I would be really surprised if it won like I'd be really shocked not not that I think it doesn't deserve it but I think just as we've you know maybe sort of touched on before it's doing what it does really really well without necessarily reinventing or or, or changing anything um oh yeah and some of the reviews have touched on like oh it's quite current and it kind of references climate change and phones and stuff but it's, it's quite subtle that that stuff I, I don't think it's this is not <laughs> I, I would not call this a, a political album or you know it's not at the beating heart of contemporary debate to, to my mind um but but you know a really nice listen nonetheless and if that if that sounds like a phone phrase it's not I really love a nice listen a nice listen is what I need probably 75 percent of the time so yeah that's my that's my take on it okay fair enough emma what did you think of it um well b before i'd read marianne's intro on on temp fans um i'd written down florence welsh and mazzy star um and i thought of both of them from time to time whilst i was listening to it um i am a fan of mazzy star but for me hope sandoval has something that that was just missing here um I agree with Marianne, it reminded me um, more of Florence and the Machine, as she mentioned in her Temp Fans intro, um, but with less of the sort of am anthems um, that her music has. But I'm not a fan of Florence, um, so that wasn't really a good thing for me. I, I, it didn't really grab me. I, I, and, and it's funny you mention War on Drugs now, because I, I really like War on Drugs, but I didn't get that from this album um, somehow. So maybe I need to listen again. It, it, it didn't really make an impression on me or draw me in. Um, and I think somebody mentioned Shoegaze in, in the comments as well on our Temp Fans discussion. And I loved Shoegaze, but I, I, I didn't really get that either. So, um, you know, I, I didn't hate it, but I just didn't love it either. And it, it, yeah, it was just OK for me, really. 
Yeah, okay. I mean, that was kind of what I came away with it from, like the, that um, it was probably the least memorable album on the playlist. And I don't mean that necessarily makes it the worst album on the playlist. It's just something about it. While I'm listening to it, it's like, yeah, this is nice. And then it's gone. And, you know, I, I listened to that album probably three or four times, but I'm still struggling to actually remember what it really sounded like. <laughs> Which, you know, that doesn't sound like a winner to me, but maybe I need to spend more time with it. What do you think, Joe? Uh, well, I'm pretty much, yeah, I, I sort of agree with you that it seemed like a mood in search of a tune, you know. Uh, you know, but nearly all the way through the album, I was like, well, where's the chorus? Where's the bit you can sing along to? Um, it seemed to me to be in the tradition of those kind of, it's weird because they're a British band, but there were these American bands that, that got into shoegaze, like Beach House and people like that, um, and School of Seven Bells and whatever. <laughs> And uh, so it seems to be sort of imitating those American bands, which are a bit more lush and epic, as you say. Um, and at times I thought it bordered on Enya, I have to say, you know, it, it seemed almost uh, almost the sort of music you'd hear in a spa, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, I found listening to it like, you know, when you're driving into work and you realise you're at your work and you haven't paid attention the whole time. You've just automatically done it. That was kind of how I felt at the end of the album. I was just like, it finished and I went, oh, what happened? <laughs> you know? So I think it's very unlikely to win. But it's nice. It sounds nice. You know? I didn't hate it at all. Um, but but as you said, Nick, I find it difficult to remember. Yeah, all of this suggests that we're probably talking about the winning album right now. Very, very wrong. You know, I attempt to what the panel will choose. Well, if Will Fallis could win it, then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. I didn't see that coming. No. And that wasn't a bad album, but... Not nope. bad. No, not, not detestable, but not great. Anyway. I, I just wanted to say that I would absolutely go to the hipster spa that has this on as the mood music in the background. Oh, yeah. I am the top market for that. So I'm, I'm down with that. Any, any, yeah. any hipster spas out there that want to do that, please, please, by all means. We've got one album left to listen to. Um, it's John Tenzi's album, which is uh, Kano. Uh, tell us about it, John. Okay, so that one's uh, Hoodies All Summer by Kano. Um, and it, it kind of, Kano was an original uh, grime pioneer. So the original grime kids were genuinely, they were kids, they were 16. I mean, and, and I think there's something really nice about the fact that he was called Kane, Kane Robinson, and so they called him Kano, just like you do at school. It's a schoolboy name, it's a, it's a kid's name. Uh, and so they were 16 and they, and they set up these pirate stations and they, and they learned how to rap and MC over these instrumental tracks uh, and he was one of the originals um, so like a lot of grime artists unfortunately they went through it the sort of first album was really really good then they went through a, a weird phase like you know Dizzy Rascal's song Bonkers that kind of music for rutting teenagers in Magaluf kind of kind of thing and then they, they, uh, he's come back to do a sort of elder statesman kind of record with us. Uh, he did Made in the Manor, which was a couple of years ago, which was about his youth, was about uh, uh, what things were like back in the day. And now this one, Hoodies All Summer, is a very political kind of concept album, a state of the nation kind of thing about what's happening with, uh, with black youth, uh, particularly in London. Um, so in some respects, the fact that he's an elder statesman, the fact that he's developing the genre, the fact that grime is a 
specifically British genre, possibly the the most recent one that we've done, that we've produced, uh, might mean that they think, oh, you know, that's he's like the next generation. So somebody like Stormzy was kind of a bit younger. Um, we won it last year, obviously. Uh, so that might go, go against it. Uh, Skepta, in 2016, won it with Wa, which is a proper grime album. It's really good, I recommend it. And then Stormzy won it last year, so I'd be quite surprised. It was uh, Dave. Stormzy it was Dave, sorry. Last year was Dave, and yeah. then Stormzy was the year before, right? Maybe, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I think the year before, maybe that was the whole fat this year, but I don't know. I'm not maybe sure. it was, you're right, you're right, it was Dave, sorry. Uh, but So there's been quite a lot of grime, that's all I'm saying. I'd, I'd be surprised. Yeah, no, grime's always pretty well represented in the shortlist. Yeah. It is, but then it's because it's an indigenous British style. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it, it is vital and it's important, and the should be recognising it. Um, but it's not always, it doesn't always live up to expectations. Anyway, I feel I've been sort of ranting a bit here. Um, it's good, I think, in terms of, it's lyrically very interesting. It's quite a satisfying concept album uh, in that it talks about or, or it sort of seeks to discuss um, uh, what's going on with, with violence and things. And, and the thing is, like, grind music, Although the reputation has been quite violent, it was quite celebratory, it was quite fun. Mm-hmm. It was playground insults, it was suck your mum and all that stuff. Uh, because they were 16 year olds, you know, it was it was daft. Uh, whereas now the young black kids in London uh, seem to be into this real music, which is quite nihilistic and it is very violent. And this album's almost like this guy from back in the day saying, okay, everyone, we need to sort of uh, change how we're, how we're viewing society and be a bit more positive. Uh, so for that reason, I like it. It's a good thing, but I found it a little bit commercial sounding. It sounded like an executive had fixed it for him, you know, had kind of, uh, they've rubbed off the edges of a lot of the songs. There's a lot of piano samples uh, that can just sound quite repetitive. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting. It's good. Okay, sorry. No, no, that's good. Um, anyone else got any opinions on non-K now? Emma? Sure. Uh, yeah, no, I really enjoyed this one. Um, I, found, I found the album varied, engaging. I really liked his flow. I found it relaxing, um, I've, but, but engaging at the same time. Um, I thought there was lots of different textures in the album. It's really heartfelt, personal. Um, I felt like out of the, these four albums, he probably had the most to say. Um, and um, I just thought it, was, it, it conveyed a really important message as well, but not in a, in a sort of a preachy way. It, it, doesn't, it didn't really preach. Um, I thought Teardrops and West, SYM, um, the last track, really stood out um, as rallying cries um, and were especially relevant. The final line on the album, which was, if we don't hold each other down, we will make it. I just thought was, you know, perfect ending to the album, really. Um, I was ready to listen to it again when it came to the end. I think it is definitely one I'll come back to. And um, it gets my vote. So on paper, I always really want to like Grime. Like, at least the Grime albums I hear are the ones in the Mercury shortlist. And I don't know how representative they are, because it seems like that's the tasteful BBC-approved end of the genre. I don't know, it, it, it never quite as ex- exciting as I want to when I listen to it. It feels like it should be like big party music. I guess that most of the albums I've listened to in recent years have just had this more, yeah, more relaxed vibe. Um, and maybe it is that it's kind of, it tends to be these elder statesmen of Ryan that are getting picked for the shortlist. Uh, 
Um, but it's great that the genre's been around long enough to have Elder Statesman. <laughs> Marion? I, yeah, so I think that's kind of like that, you know, rallying cry, um, sort of political, like, state of the nation, this is where we are now. I kind of, yeah, I really respect and admire it because I think that that, you know, thinking like about some of the albums we've been talking about tonight, like, yeah, that's that's really missing, you know, but that... Um, um, that that kind of rallying cry element to it, I really appreciated it. Musically, I feel a bit lost with the rhyme. And I was thinking about it in terms of like, it's a bit how I feel with classical music. Like I hear classical music, I'm like, oh yeah, there's violins and stuff. Um, yeah, it's nice. And that's how I feel about every piece of classical music because I don't, I don't know how to situate myself in it very well. And I feel a little bit like that with grime. So musically, like it's it's a bit harder to kind of, um, like I'm really glad I'm not on the Mercury Prize having to judge. Because I, I was looking at the criteria again and it is, it's like, oh, it's all about the quality of the music but I don't know how do you judge like Kano versus Laura Marling versus you know it's such a tricky thing to be able to do um so yeah I I could imagine it I yeah I could I think it would be a worthy winner I could imagine it winning um I'm glad I'm not having to actually make the decision in in real life so that's nice all right then well thanks you all for for turning up thank you Well, that was a logistical nightmare. Um, if you're still with us, you have listened to people discussing, introducing, um, and sometimes agreeing, sometimes disagreeing um, uh, about the 12 albums on the 2020 Mercury Prize. Um, I'm Ewan. I'm Nick. As, as you probably know by now, if you're not sick of the sound of us. Um, Nick. What do you think? What was, I mean, are you, are you were um, bigging up um, Porridge Alpha or whatever they were called. Um, where are you at the moment? What's, okay. What, um, what was your favourite? I'm still going gonna, gonna to stick to my guns and say my favourite record on the sh- shortlist was uh, Porridge Radio, just because I, it's the one that I keep going back to and still enjoy and kind of have gone and explored more of the band as a result of it. But... I can kind of see that's more kind of maybe a niche interest thing. I think probably Michael Kiwanuka is the more deserving winner. It's the one that feels, it's got the feel of a classic album about it. And uh, is a sort of thing you think if that wins, when people look back on, it, on the, uh, the awards in 10 years time, like when we were going through earlier on lists of previous winners, I don't think it had sounded at all out of place as a Mercury winner. Yeah, I mean, we did discuss, or it, it definitely came up a bit, um, about how it sounded quite old. It had a lot of influences. And actually, that was some of the negatives in the group discussion um, related to that album. Over on our Facebook group, um, which we bang on about on this thing, um, it had much more of a positive positive response. Um, I, I, mean, I really, really, really liked Moses Boyd. I know that there's... A lot of comments about it being the token jazz record, but it doesn't sound necessarily like a a, a jazz record that people can't get into. Um, We had uh, Sons of Kemet the other year. Um, I think this is much more... This is much more timeless. This is much more accessible. Like uh, I think I commented, um, there's certain parts that sound like movie soundtracks. I think Moses Boy could win and be the jazz win um, this year. That that does feel plausible. Yeah, and that's the thing with the Mercury. They all feel plausible, right? Because it's really... No, no, no. I know you like to think you're good at guessing them, but come on. Sports team won't win. Dua Lipa won't win. 
Uh, Kano went with, Stormzy went with. I don't know. I think I think Charlie XCX has a chance in that. I know that the Mercury Prize, they say, oh, we only do it based on the album, not about external forces or whatnot. Um, I, I call bullshit on that. Um, if you've had indie, indie, indie for three for three consecutive ones, the next one is not going to be indie, even if it's the best album of that year. Um, you can look back and you can follow trends. I think Charlie XCX has a, a chance because it's something that the Mercury Prize hasn't really done before. Same with Moses Boyd. I think Kiranuka could be could be. I think it, I think it's a bit of a safe choice. Yeah. Um, but maybe after after Dave. Last year, uh, maybe they'd they quite fancy a bit of a, a safe choice, but they haven't really given it to any sort anyone poppy for a while. And and jazz hasn't has jazz ever won? Um, Not that I recall, and that's I mean I think sooner or later they have to give it to the jazz album so that they you know when people call it the token jazz album they can say no because it was that year we gave it to Moses Boyd. <laughs> Right? Yeah, to- totally. They can, totally. They can get away with that for the next four or five years at least before we start calling it the token jazz album again. I could see Laura Marlin getting it, but yeah. I don't think this is her best one. Um, mm. There are a couple in there, like Georgia, Lanterns on the Lake, um, that I've already forgotten about. Um, Anna Meredith was really interesting, and there was yeah. a lot going on. Certainly. But it just never felt like it was a complete whole and that's whole with a w rather than just being a complete whole (laughs) um some people had opinions uh some of our some of our guests if you're listening to this and you go where was that one minute diatribe i recorded on the merits of this um if you haven't heard it it's because i cut it out um for purely reasons uh, that were very technical and very professional Basically, he just cuts out all the bits where people disagree with him. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, and what I do with it is I leave it's in bits that make people, that make people sound stupid. Now, um, <laughs> we've, tried to, we've tried not to cut out as much as possible, but sometimes, obviously, for time length, we have. Um, if you've enjoyed listening to this and you've enjoyed listening to the music, please go and explore these bands yourselves. Um, also, remember, this is an ongoing podcast. We've done ESG, we've done the Pogues. We've got coming up in the next episode, Nick... The butthole surfers. Yeah. And hopefully we've got something very, very, very special planned for the end of season one. And then before season two, we might go and buy proper microphones and work out what we're doing. Um, I hope you've enjoyed being with us as we've gone through Mercury Prize 2020. Um, I've enjoyed myself. Um, so that's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Wait, are we the two fucking runnies? Yeah, that was the two runnies we just did there. <laughs> But yeah, totally well, unconsciously, it's just it's just so ingrained <laughs> in our subconscious that if you say it's goodbye from me, what am I going to say? <laughs> oh no, no, goodbye from him, it, and it's goodbye from him. Oh no, we didn't even do the two Ronnies right. They're fucking useless. Oh. Do you know what else we didn't? Do? Four candles. <laughs> no, we didn't do the poll winners. Oh yes, we had a poll. <laughs> now I can't cut any of this bit out. We're going to leave this bit in. We're going to very quickly. done. <laughs> So, so many um, of you probably know by now that the whole podcast was inspired by a Facebook group called Temporary Fandoms, uh, which you can go and join at facebook.com slash groups slash tempfans. And we also listened to all the Mercury shortlist there. And at the end of it, we held a poll. So anyone who was in the group could vote in the poll. But I actually had two polls. 
One was to pick your winner, the, the, which basically the record in an ideal world you think should win just because it's what you think is the best record on the list. And I mentioned that to differentiate it from the their winner poll, which is where we try and second guess the Mercury panel, which I think is insanely difficult to do. Um, just just before you you, you, you you read the two winners, um, how successful has the group been at predicting the winner in the past? Well, I think we've probably done it since uh, 2016. So how many times would that be? We've done it five times now. We've never been right. Not once. So um, if you're a betting person, listen to what Nick's going to say and lump money somewhere else. <laughs> well, you know, it might be, this might be our Moses Boyd wins the token jazz album here. <laughs> So, so, well, first of all, let's let's do the uh, the one we predicted that the Mercury panel would choose as their winner. Um, basically, the group came out actually it's very very close. Um, the number one spot was taken by Charlie XCX. How I'm feeling now, um, but uh, Michael Kiwanuka was close behind, and then Anna Meredith in oh Anna Meredith and Laura Marling in joint third place. Whereas. Okay. The actual uh, Mercury, sort of temporary fandoms Mercury winner, if you will, which is obviously the only uh, version of the Mercury prize that really matters, uh, was won by Michael Kiwanuka, which would pretty much be what I would have predicted before we listened. Okay. So um, the safe choice. That said, the second place is a surprise. Care to guess? Oh, God. Is it Porridge Radio? (laughs) No. (laughs) I, I, who? Sports team. Huh. Well, Indy has, Indy has not won. Oh, no, Wolf Alice, I guess, would have bit yeah, I think a little bit. But it has been, over the last maybe 10 years, classic indie bands haven't really won for a while. So maybe, maybe. All right. Um, I've already said goodbye. Um, yeah. So should we just, just go? Yeah, let's go. Yeah. And that's your lot. This special Mercury episode of the Temp Fans Podcast was recorded before the award ceremony, which is held on the 24th of September 2020. So we have no idea who will win, or perhaps already has by the time you listen to this. But honestly, it's just an opportunity to explore a fairly diverse selection of contemporary records that for one reason or another were thought to be contenders for the title, Album of the Year. We hope you've enjoyed it, and perhaps found a new favourite record. It just remains to say thank you to everyone who participated in this episode. Emily Baldoni, Brendan Emmett Quigley, Christopher Whitby, Emma McDermott, Marion Powell, John Tanzi, and Cy Sharp. And of course, to you and my co-host. Thanks also to everyone who participated in part one of this special and to Jonathan Fisher for the temporary fandoms theme tune. For the next episode, we'll resume our normal discography guzzling remit. See you again soon. I'm Nick Hilditch, and you will like me when you meet me. You might even fall in love.